All right. Here we are. Good evening. Thank you to our worship team. Shout out to you guys. Thank you for leading us tonight. Anybody enjoy worship? Good. It is good to see you guys tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are in a slightly different space, slightly different venue. Um, for multiple reasons, we're not going to permanently be here. We're just here for the night. Uh, but I'm believing that at some point in the future, y'all are about to bring so many people that it's about to be a full house in here. If you don't know what I'm referencing, just, just go back and look at January's messages and, and you'll catch on to where I'm going. Um, I'm excited about tonight because we are starting a new series tonight, and as, as Selah hinted at, we're actually going to be talking about relationships. And I'm excited about this because uh, I, I actually typically don't do relationship series in February. Uh, I'm not like a let's just jump on the Valentine's Day trend guy. That's not really my thing, uh, but I did feel like the Lord was leading us to do that this year. Uh, not specifically just because it's Valentine's Day, but I just felt like he was leading us to talk about relationships in this time and in a specific way. Um, here's, here's some of the things that I, that I don't love about relationship series. If, uh, if, if there's anybody in here with any apprehension that you're with me, I feel like a lot of times in relationship series, just kind of across the globe, we get a lot of how-tos that don't always work. We get a lot of, hey, this is what I did, and this is what you should do. And it doesn't always work. And I've found that when it comes to relationships, they're, they're a little bit more complex uh, than I think we give it credit for. I see some people are still, still walking in. Hey, if you guys could just do us a favor and scoot into the center of the aisles so that people aren't having to, like, step over you when they're coming in, uh, that, would, that would be a huge benefit to your brothers and sisters so they're able to just slide into a seat. So, uh, but like I was saying, you know, a lot of times we get a lot of how-tos and we get a lot of steps and we, got a, we get a lot of personal experience, but I've just found that relationships are a little bit more complex and sometimes we give it credit for and sometimes the how-tos uh, don't always teach us how to navigate all the situations that we're going to run into. And further than that, I feel like a lot of us feel like there's a gap in the scriptures when it comes to certain areas of our lives. I feel like a lot of us feel like there's a gap in the scriptures, especially when it comes to dating. Where does the Bible talk about dating? Give me a scripture about dating. You're like, I don't know, I'm trying to scan the, the New Testament. Were they dating in, in Corinth? Were they dating in Thessalonica? I, I, don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of direct scriptures about uh, different situations that we are navigating. And so what ends up happening is uh, most of us, we are, if, if we've gotten to the space where we're following Christ, we're following Christ in most areas of our lives. And then we find ourselves, if we're not careful, following culture in other areas of our lives that we don't see an immediate connection to Jesus in. Has anybody experienced that? Has anybody seen that? Maybe it wasn't you. It was the person next to you. 
it was your friends, it was people you know, it's things that you've witnessed. That sometimes we can follow culture instead of following Christ, uh, not because we don't love Jesus, but because we don't necessarily see Jesus immediately in every area of our lives. And especially when we're in this season of life with, with technology, right? And, and sometimes we can feel like technology has outpaced God. Like, God, you were, you were talking back when all this stuff wasn't happening. And you didn't necessarily have anything to say directly about where we're at in 2023. We've advanced so much more than those ancient people you were talking to. And if we're not careful, we can take that, that posture when it comes to the word of God. But I have found that the word of God is eternal. The word of God is eternal. It worked back immediately when it was spoken, when it was written, and it's still working now. And I do believe that God actually has things to say um, about our relationship life. I think this is one of the most impactful areas of life. There is nobody that can escape from the area of relationships. And I would say, you know, a lot of times when I do series surrounding relationships, I, I try to focus not just on romantic relationships, but friendships, uh, employee relationships, right? Neighboring relationships, friendships, and and, fa and families like parents and, and all those things. Because sometimes we can get so laser focused in on just our dating lives and, and whether we want to get married or not that we can overlook the importance of other relationships in our lives. But this time, this time we're actually going to be focusing on the area of romantic relationships in our lives because I've just found that this is one of the most important things for us to have clarity on. And I believe no matter what place you are in life, maybe you are single and content and not even interested in a romantic relationship right now, and you're like, logical things. I wanna talk about the deeper things. You know, I wanna talk about when Jesus is coming back. I wanna talk about, look, I hear you, but you need to get clarity on this too because none of us can escape this area of our lives. There are certain people that Jesus says have a gift of being single. Uh, and, and it's a good thing where you are focusing on you and the Lord. But you still are gonna be around a bunch of people in relationships, even if you choose to be single. If you, if you choose to have children, you, you're, you're definitely gonna wanna have some type of wisdom in this area of your life. Uh, I, would have, I would venture to say that you need to be a person of wisdom in this area because it just impacts each and every one of us. And so I believe that wherever you are in your relationship status, single, dating, engaged, married, I believe that there's, that there's some value for you to glean from what we're gonna be talking about. And so I just wanna start with a prayer and then I wanna dive into the first scripture of the night. And so if you'll pray with me, God, I thank you so much for your word, Lord, that we get the beautiful opportunity to just explore your, your eternal truth. God, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, I, I thank you that you said that it's the spirit that gives life, that the flesh is no help at all. God, that our, our ways of processing God, our, our intellect, it's really not helpful when it comes to navigating these weighty things, Lord, we need something bigger than us. Lord, we need a truth that, that is above the way that we think, Lord. And we thank you that we have a God who cares, Lord, that your ways are above our ways, your thoughts are above our thoughts, God, and that you have
guidance for us today. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing over each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of our relationship lives will be blessed in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that healthy relationships will be the mark of your people in this place right now and watching online, God, and because of the truth that you have for us, God, and the way that they're living it out, Lord, I pray that people would look at what they are doing, God, and see Jesus and want Jesus, Lord. And so have your way. Help us to hear you clearly tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the the first scripture that I want to look at tonight, I'll give you the title of the message later. Um, That's coming later. The first scripture I want to look at tonight is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Uh, Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Pay careful attention to how you walk. Is he talking about just like when you're walking down the street? No. He's talking about how you live your life, how you go about things, how you go about your decisions, how you go about your days. Uh, I would venture to say he's talking about how you go about relationships. He's talking about how you go about friendships. He's talking about every area in your life. Pay careful attention to how you walk, not just careful attention to certain aspects of what you're doing, not just careful attention to certain areas of your life, but pay careful attention to how you walk in every area of life, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of the time. How many of you guys have noticed that relationships will take up a lot of your time? Relationships will take up a whole lot of your time. And if you're not careful, if you're not paying careful attention to how you're navigating your life, and your desires, you can easily not be making the most of your time. And I would venture to say that the enemy is constantly presenting a false narrative when it comes to relationships to waste your time so that you can't make the most of your time. How many of us find ourselves spending just a crazy, you you don't have to raise your hand, But how many of us find ourselves spending a crazy amount of time thinking about relationships? Whether it's you're you're in one and you're trying to navigate it, or you're not in one and you're wondering why you're not in one. Or you're thinking about the last one. How much time is it taking from your life? Thinking about relationships. Not even having a relationship, just thinking about it. (laughs) Aside from the time you're actually spending interacting, how much time are you thinking about the interactions you're having? It can take up so much time. Now you can move into, uh, now you can look at our current culture, right? And the pace at which we're moving, right? And then swipe life, right? So... Now you're thinking about this person and this person and this person and this person. And did this person respond to me? And what does this person think of me? And what do I think of this person? And what do I think of this person? And what do I think of this person? And then look at how much time you're spending 
even if it's not on a dating app, even if it's you're scrolling on any type of social media platform, inevitably this underlying narrative is surrounding relationships. How much time do we spend thinking about other people's relationships? How many of you guys know really like a disproportionate amount of information about celebrities' relationships that you don't even know? Like information you just should not know, stuff you shouldn't be thinking about. Like, why is he with her? This, is, this isn't even the person for him. Like, this is, he doesn't even really like her like that. And this is real. How many of us are watching reality TV? <laughs> oh, we weren't expecting to go there. How many, how many of us are, are looking at reality TV and spending time looking at false narratives about relationships that got nothing to do with our lives? But why are we so drawn to this concept? We are drawn to it. Movies center around relationships. Name a movie that doesn't have a romantic relationship in it. It doesn't matter the genre, comedy, there's a relationship. Action, they're trying to save the person they're in a relationship with. Horror, Now, I don't watch them personally, but you can tell from the trailer that there's a relationship in here. There's going to be a relationship in any form of entertainment. And we've talked about before how entertainment is just literally anything that's designed to hold your attention. So why is it the relationships hold our attention so much? Whether it's our own, whether it's other people's relationships, we are immersed in the world of relationships. I would say it's because God has designed us in a particular way to care about relationships, to desire relationships. He's, he's put this inside of us. And we need to know him to know how to go about relationships. Because what is the other thing that we see? It, it, Relationships are in chaos around the world. I was looking just at statistics around relationships because I was thinking about sharing some tonight. And I was like, I'm not even going to share it. They know. They know. If you, you go look at relationship statistics, 2023, you can look at studies on what was taking place during the pandemic, before the pandemic, um, whether the majority of Americans feel like dating is going well right now? Can you guess? No. We all know this. And yet, how many, how many people are, are offering answers? A lot of people. So, a bunch of people offering answers for your relationship life. And they don't even have good relationships. I, I mean, it's... It's a desert out here when it comes to relationships. And so Paul says not to walk as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time. I would say that we cannot make the most of the time if we don't know how to navigate relationships because relationships will eat up our whole lives. You can spend your entire life in a terrible relationship, getting your time wasted and being miserable. 
legitimately. Or you can spend your whole life looking for a relationship, wasting your time because that's all you were thinking about. Or you can spend your whole life in a relationship that's just mediocre and it wasn't terrible, but it didn't do anything for you, which is another waste of your time, which is another temptation of the enemy because he's, he's, he's not just trying to make you unhappy. He's trying to destroy and steal what God has for you. He's trying to destroy the purpose that you have in, on this earth. Um, I think one of our greatest temptations is to compromise in the area of relationships, not really understanding the cost of when we do that. There's such a high cost. And I think that that's why we are so heavily accosted, why we are so heavily attacked in this area. Because if we get this area right, God gets glory, walk in purpose, walk in fulfillment. If we get this area wrong, God's not glorified, we're not walking in purpose, and we're miserable. And so... He says this, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do you know what God's will is for your relationship life? Do you know? What is God's desire for your relationship life? What does God want for you? How often are you thinking about that when it comes to relationships? If you're single and you are considering potential relationships and potential partners, how much are you considering God's will? And then how much are you submitting to God's will? How clear are you? Ooh, we got one, one clap. <laughs> but how, how clear are you on God's will in this area? Because I would say that many of us are just not very well equipped in this area when it comes to being clear on God's will. We may know like church culture, Church culture says a lot about accountability and about boundaries, and all those things are good, and there, there are good things that it adds to the, to the process, but it doesn't mean that because you know what, what other Christians did, that you know God's will. And when we just conform to what other people did, see, when Romans 12 says don't conform to the patterns of this world, I, I, I quote this a lot because it's a very, very powerful statement, what he's illustrating. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And that is when external things mold you and shape you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's metamorphosis. That's like a caterpillar turning to a butterfly. So you're talking about like the difference between a cookie being cut into a gingerbread man Nothing about the DNA of the cookie has changed. It's just, it's got a different shape. So, so for you, that would mean nothing inside of you is any different. You just act like the world. But like your inner person hasn't changed. He's saying, don't just act like the people around you. Let God change who you are and how you think. That's what God desires for you. And we have to know his will in order to start going down that process. We have to know his will to start taking that journey. God actually desires for you 
to understand his will, to be able to walk in his will. But if you just are trying to conform to patterns, even in church, some of us will skip over the Bible and go straight to what did these other church people do? And then think that's going to work for us. It's not going to work for you. Anything that God designed, you need his input on. Not just secondhand information. And so just because you got saved and started replicating what you saw other people doing, that's, a, that's an aspect of Christianity. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But, but you also got to know him for yourself. Don't just follow Paul. Follow Christ. And follow Paul as he follows Christ. Don't just follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ, but follow Christ. You can learn from people who've had experiences and, and have wisdom and, have, and have, have figured out some things in some areas and have some answers. But ultimately, you need to know what the Lord's will is. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. To not understand what the Lord's will is, is to be foolish. And so just because you know what other people are doing doesn't mean you understand what the Lord's will is. So this is why we have to have relationship with Jesus. We have to have a relationship with his word because other than that, we find ourselves conforming to culture. And the dangerous thing about following culture is culture is always changing. Because culture is just what people are making and what people are doing. And so it's always changing. It's very unstable. Culture right now is very different than culture 20 years ago. Culture is just in the process of discovery. And so culture hasn't figured anything out. Culture is continually discovering. And it's dangerous to make permanent decisions based on temporary information. And so when you're making lifelong decisions based on what people are saying who are just discovering things in real time like you are, that's dangerous. And so we don't need to follow culture that's discovering things in real time. We can follow Christ who has already determined things from outside of time. Jesus is not in a process of discovery. Jesus is not discovering how things work. Jesus determined how things work. So you live in a society that is discovering how relationships work. And so they're saying, well, maybe we can do it this way. Maybe we could do it this way. Maybe we can all just have our own approach. Maybe we can all just follow our own desires. Maybe we can all follow whatever comes to our minds. And those things, they start sounding good to us, but they're shifting sand. They're not really anything to build on because it's not proven to work. It's not proven to work. And that's why it's important to like, pick up your eyes, and just look at the statistics. Because we'll, we'll listen to social media narratives and social media rants, and we'll listen to podcasts of people who sound very confident, but then the results are not matching the confidence of the information they're delivering. And so we live in a world of people who want to position themselves as experts with no track record of success. I, and I feel like as culturally, uh, as Christians, it needs to be our culture to walk in wisdom. And wisdom says, I'm not just going to let you tell me what to do with no track record, no proven record of success. Just because you have something that sounds good and you have clever ideas 
doesn't mean it's worth me actually doing. And in this time now where there's all this pressure in the, on the internet for everybody to think the same way and do the same stuff, and information is coming at you so fast, it's hard to follow and walk at the pace of the world and walk in wisdom. This is why if you try to go about relationships like the world does, it'll be falling apart. Inevitably. And so sometimes we can, we can feel like God is trying to restrict us or hold us back and he doesn't have the best for us. And we're like, we're, we're drawn to the ways of the world, but it's walking in foolishness and as unwise because when we look at the results that the world is getting, it's shifting sand. So again, Christ has already determined things from outside of time. So what we wanna do is we wanna align ourselves with him in our discovery process. We're discovering what he has already determined. And we get in alignment when what we're discovering is what he's determined. So we need to discover what Christ has determined. That's how we walk as wise and not as unwise. And that's how we understand what the will of the Lord is. I say this because in, in John chapter one, verses one through five, John starts his gospel with these powerful statements. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. It's beautiful. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. I thought he said in the beginning was the word. How is the word he? So in the beginning was the word. Why didn't he just say in the beginning was Jesus? But he's talking about Jesus. Because he wants us to know that Jesus is the word. And that the word of God is powerful, that the word is God. Mm, the word in the beginning. So Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1 says, the word was with God in the beginning. So in the beginning, God, and then in the beginning, the word. The word and God. The word is God, but the word is with God. Why am I saying this? Because it says that all things were created through the word of God. And apart from the word of God, not one thing was created that has been created. 
apart from him, who is the word, not one thing was created that has been created. And I got my eyes closed because even as I was thinking about it earlier, I was like, this is so poetic. It's just so beautiful. It was just so moving to me. I'm like, ooh, he's just, this is just bars. In the beginning was the word. All right, I'm going to stop. But here's why I'm saying this. Because the word created all things. And apart from him, nothing was created. And yet there are areas of our lives that the word is not touching. It's, it's like, has anybody ever done tie-dye on a shirt before? Okay, has anybody ever used a rubber band when you're doing tie-dye? Why do you use the rubber band? To make the pattern? You use the rubber bands to make the pattern because when, it, when it's tied up a certain way, the, the ink hits certain parts and doesn't hit other parts. And what I've found is that when we get saved, we are kind of like a shirt being dunked for tie-dye. Now, we're submerged. We are in Christ. Through faith, we are in Christ. But there's a process that God takes us through. There's, there's salvation, and then there's a word that we refer to as sanctification, where you get saved in an instant where, where your sins are forgiven, right? But then a process of cleansing takes place for what has happened in your spirit to actually manifest in the natural. And it's just the process that God takes us through. And so I've found that, that the sanctification process is like the rubber bands being taken off of so that the blood of Jesus can start hitting every area of our lives and start saturating every area of our lives. And yet, when we don't submit ourselves to that process, we keep rubber bands on and we're submerged but there's certain areas of our lives that are not saturated. But in the beginning was the word. I could do this all night. And all things were created through him. And apart from him, nothing was made. And yet we hide things from God. And we, and we say, Jesus doesn't want to see this part of my life. And, and further, we think, that, we think that Jesus covers his eyes and covers his ears when people are having sex. And we think that Jesus can't handle areas of our lives. But there is nothing that was made apart from him. So in the beginning, there were no men. In the beginning, there were no women. In the beginning, there was no romance. In the beginning, there was no sex. In the beginning, there were no desires for intimacy. In the beginning was God. And then all these things were created through him and by him. And apart from them, nothing, were, no, nothing was created. And so apart from Jesus, there would be no sex. So don't you think he might have something to say about it? So how could the word not have guidance for this area of your life when it was created through him? And why would the Bible have so much to say about sex and about sexuality 
if this were not just a common issue to all mankind. And God knows what we're navigating. He knows the desires of our heart. This is why you can read a book in the Bible like Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And you see. Desire has been around for a long time. So if you've been asking the question, does the word have guidance for my relationship life? The answer is absolutely yes. He's been around forever. The word of God is Jesus and Jesus is the word. Everything that God has spoken is a reflection of who he is and has come directly from him. And then you go down to verse 14, and and something very, very, very powerful happens. It says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And and there's, I was doing some studying on this, and it was saying that, uh, that the the translation here for dwelt, it's it's a tough word to to translate, but the, the most accurate translation of the Greek word used there is tabernacled. Or, or tented, and, and what it's referring to is that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was, was where God dwelt with man. And so the word of God, it was in the beginning. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. The word was in the beginning. And then after creation, And all these years go by of mankind falling and separating from God. God sends Jesus in human flesh and the word of God becomes flesh, puts on human flesh, puts on a human body, lives a human life and becomes a a meeting place of God and mankind walking the earth. Why am I saying this? It's, it's leading towards what this series is about and what it's called. Because, because God didn't just send the word. He sent the word, but then he also let the word become alive and dwell among us so that the word actually gave us a living example of the word being lived out. And this is the intent of God for his word, not for his word to just be heard, but for his word to be done, for his word to be lived, for his word to take life, for his word to be acted out. The word was God. The word was with God. And nothing was created without the word. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the life of Jesus is a perfect example of the word of God being lived out. And this is why it's so important that we imitate his example. And the series that we are beginning tonight, this is the title of it. It is called Imitation, a series on relationship. And we're talking about all kinds of imitation, but I wanted to set it up a particular way so that we understand the mandate of God, that, it, that, that everything that we do is actually an imitation of something. Everything you do is an imitation of something you've seen. The way that you move, the way that you talk, the way that you imitated, you're imitating the way that you dress, 
None of us dress like we're in the 1800s, right? Because inevitably we imitate what's around us. But that's why it's so important that we do what the first verse we read said, which is pay careful attention to how you walk and what you're imitating and who you're imitating because culture is constantly trying to set an example for you to imitate. Entertainment is constantly giving you visuals for you to imitate. And especially as the younger generation, this is what we're doing all the time. We're imitating. And some of us are too prideful to say that, but you are. I could look at you right now and name probably five things about you that are an imitation of somebody else. I wasn't the first person to get a fade. (laughs) It's an imitation of something that I had seen. I liked it. Got a fade. Not the first person to wear sneakers. It's an imitation of what other people wear. I'm not walking around in like, yeah, with my toes out, just random stuff. I'm not just walking around barefoot. So there are just natural ways that we imitate. I'm talking English. I learned English from imitating. Our son is learning words very slowly. I'm not saying he's like, he's only seven months. I'm not saying he's saying whole words, but he's doing stuff like, ma, ma, da, 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 da. Like he's just trying his best to imitate what he's hearing. But if he wasn't hearing anything, he wouldn't be doing it. And so he's imitating what he's seeing, and so are you. You're imitating what you're seeing. But what are you looking at? What What is your life an imitation of? Because it's an imitation of something. It's just an imitation of whatever you think is cool. And so if you have found a person in culture that you want to imitate, then they've met your standard for what it takes to influence you, and you're imitating them. There there are relationships that you've seen, whether they're in real life or in movies or wherever, a song, there are things that you're hearing and looking at and you're wanting to imitate it inevitably. There are people on social media with millions and millions and millions of followers, uh, couples, right? And why? Because we want to look, and inevitably, we want to look at something to imitate. We want that. It's, it's just who we are naturally. And so the question is, who are you imitating? And again, if you say nobody, you just are not self-aware enough to know that you are imitating But here's what Ephesians 5 says. It said to be wise, to walk as wise and not as unwise. Don't be foolish to understand what the will of the Lord is. But you know what the beginning of that chapter says? He starts it off by saying this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Be an imitator of God. Not just 
an obeyer of God. Not just a conformer to the culture of church. Not a conformer to the patterns of the world. But be an imitator of God. How are you doing with imitating God in your relationships? Is the way you approach relationships an imitation of God? If not, there's some work to be done. And that's what God is always inviting us into, to walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Do you see all the implications are that Jesus did this for us so that we would follow the example, not just receive what he's done, but follow the example. Jesus didn't come and do stuff that he doesn't want us to do. So when when looking at the area of relationships in our lives, we have to look at what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do in your situation of life, in your circumstances, How would Jesus be processing the place in life you are and what would he be doing on a daily basis? Asking that question is how you begin to imitate God. And as a human being, you were created to imitate God. You were created in the image of God. And you were not created just to look like God, you were created to act like God. But many of us look like God and act like something else. And that's what he's come to fix. That's what he's come to change. That is why the cleansing process is available to us because we are not supposed to look like God and act like the devil. We're supposed to look like God and act like God. And this is how God gives glory in the earth. When human beings created in the image of God also follow the mission of God and have relationship with God. So who are you imitating? I say that the rest of the chapter gives us some more context for for how to imitate God. I want to dive into some of it tonight, verses 22 through 33, specifically in the area of relationships. Start giving us context for what it looks like to imitate God in our romantic relationships. Verse 22 says this, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. (laughs) See, and that's the problem. We only wanna hear the part that's about other people. Wanna say, God, don't, don't focus on me. Skip past me, get to them. But don't walk as unwise. Walk as wise. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is, not just for other people, but for you. Because there's beauty in the whole picture. This is why I set it up this way, because otherwise you hear something like this and you're like, ooh, submit. Oh, God. Mm." (laughs) Look at this archaic language. Uh, This patriarchal society. Uh." Instead of understanding that in the beginning was the word and all things were created by him and through him 
and apart from him, nothing was created. And so what he said about what he has created is the way that it's supposed to work. And what he said about what he has created is beautiful. And we need to understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. And so after he talks about wives, he says, husbands, love your wives just as, listen to the language of imitation, just, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. How many of your relationships look like that? He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Look at the whole picture of what we're actually supposed to be imitating in the area of romantic relationships. And then look at the rest of the world and how little this is actually happening. This is like a hidden treasure buried in the dirt somewhere that nobody even looks at. Like when is the last time you heard language like this in a relationship podcast? No, what you're hearing in a lot of secular society is actually division. It's men should be doing this or women should be doing this. And this is, I literally, I was, I was talking to a guy, having a conversation with a guy. And he was, he was like, women are so dumb. They're so dumb. Like, like, listen to this podcast and just listen to how they talk. And I'm like, uh, do you plan on being with one? <laughs> and he's like, we're, we're, yeah, bro. Like, I'm not, uh. I'm like, but, but does that, does that, does that work? If they're so dumb and so terrible and don't know anything, how is that going to work? Who are you going to choose if they're all just, but conforming to society, had them in a place of feeling like I'm right. And it, didn't even align with what he actually wanted. You want a woman. And you're telling me that they're dumb. How is your relationship going to be good? But this is what we're seeing a lot of times throughout, throughout society is actually division. It's not a unifying message that's actually taking place but division and self-service and selfishness. And there's this underlying message of you should be focused on you. And everybody around you needs to start conforming to how you think. And so I'm gonna affirm who you are and, who, and how you think and then convince you that the way to go about relationship is finding somebody who 
thinks like you think and has the same narrative that you have that's not real playing in their head. And it's going to work great. And then you see the divorce statistics. Why it's not working. Because there's a way that this works. In him, through him, all things were made. And apart from him, nothing was made. And apart from him, nothing works. Jesus echoes this later. John says that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, remain in me, like a branch connected to a vine. When you take the branch out of the vine, it dies. But when you just keep the branch connected to the vine, it lives and, it's, and it bears fruit and it thrives and it works. But when you disconnect it, it dies. And Jesus is saying that you are the same. That Jesus is the vine and you're the branches. This is what he says. When you disconnect yourself from Jesus, you die. Nothing works. It doesn't thrive. When you disconnect relationships from Jesus, it dies. It does not work. When you disconnect marriage from Jesus, it dies. It does not work. When you disconnect sex from Jesus, it dies. It does not work. It doesn't work. We could talk about statistics all day on that as well. But I think you can look around and see that, it, that it's not actually working. It's not actually bringing fulfillment, just the mirage of fulfillment. And so uh, there are just three things that I want us to look at in this passage, three keys to imitating God in our romantic relationships. Uh, number one thing that we need to understand is that marriage is the highest level of relationship two people can have. This is what this is illustrating. And this is where the whole conversation of romantic relationships has to shift back to. Because it's all over the place right now. Whether people get married or not is, is totally up to debate. The importance of marriage, the value of marriage, uh, whether it's archaic, whether it's just a paper being signed. Uh, there's all types of discussion around how two people should be in relationship. But I'm not going to go down that route. I'm going to just say that marriage is the highest level of relationship that two people can have. And it needs to be treated that way. It needs to be treated that way in your life. And so if you are thinking about dating, then you need to be thinking about marriage. Because, because it is for this reason. The Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's no other reason for you to be going down this path unless it's leading here. And you, can, you may resist that in your mind and in your flesh, but I'm telling you that there's a way it works and there's a way it doesn't work. And I cannot see how any path other than the path that God has laid out for us works better than the path that God has laid out for us. And marriage is not just something that man made up. It's something that God made up. Marriage isn't something that mankind came up with. Marriage is something that God came up with. And in fact, it's a picture that God is actually illustrating. Marriage is the highest level of relationship, and it's how 
God designed it to be. And here's point two, is that marriage is an imitation of Jesus Christ's relationship with Christians. Because we can look at the language and say, Christ and the church. It, that's what he's talking about. That marriage is an imitation of Jesus Christ's relationship with Christians. That is the highest purpose of it, is to be a reflection of Christ's relationship to the church. I want us to sit on that for a second because that doesn't even make sense to our natural understanding. We may think it's a secondary thing, like, oh, like, God created us and, you know, gave us these desires and and we get married. And, oh, look, it can also reflect Christ and the church. No, it should reflect. It does reflect Christ and the church. This is the way it's designed to work, that a man and a woman would come together and be joined as one flesh. And it is a reflection of Christ in the church. And this is why the, the, the behavior is prescribed in the way that it is prescribed. How wives are supposed to approach the relationship and how husbands are supposed to re- approach the relationship is as an imitation of what Jesus has done for his people and how Jesus interacts with his people. So how do you apply this to your, to your dating life? Well, At whatever stage you are, at whatever relationship status you are, picture that and then picture that status with Jesus and the church. Here's an example. Uh, Jesus has saved us and we are going to be united with him for eternity. But we're not there yet. So where are we? Oh, I would say we're probably engaged. Before he went to the cross, where was the relationship? I would say it might be in the dating phase. And I'm not just coming up with this. I mean, this is what it says marriage is a picture of. It's an imitation and so when you're looking at a, at a partner, a potential partner, are you evaluating through this lens? This is the lens that you can evaluate from. Okay, the, the, the place that we're going to is Jesus Christ and the church being united. And the husband is a reflection of Jesus Christ and the wife is a reflection of the church. And both of them have clear roles and clear pictures in scripture, in the word, for us to follow. And what do we see? That wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, like the church submits to Christ. Why does the church submit to Christ? Is it because uh, he's just this patriarchal, mean, domineering leader? Well, no, because later it says that husbands are to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So Jesus has laid down his life for his bride and has served his bride by prioritizing his bride above himself 
And he's focused on cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And he did this to present the church to himself in splendor. His way of loving the church is by helping the church to develop and become more like him. And so we say, well, do I need to date somebody who's saved? Well, (laughs) if it's ever going to be a picture of Christ and the church, it should start as a picture of Christ and the church. And if it's not a picture of Christ and the church, some critical decisions need to be made as to whether it's ever going to become that. Because there's a clear picture here of Christ and his character and his determination. And this is why when, um, when talking to a woman about a man who is not sure whether he wants her or not, is why there's, there's, there's red flags. Because if we just look at the picture that God gave us to imitate, did Christ ever waver in his desire for the church? <laughs> All the women are like, come on! But, and this is not a, this is not a, this is not a condemnation of, of a man trying to evaluate and trying to figure things out. But what I am saying, but what I am saying is, it is not a time to be committed until that man knows what he wants. And as a man, as a man, if you do not know what you want, it's not time to initiate anything. Because when we look at the picture of Christ and the church, Christ leads by initiating decisively. I want my bride, I understand the process that it's going to take, and the process that it's going to take is self-sacrifice and prioritization of her, not being a high-value man (laughs) and having her serve you and having all women pining after you and you just being God's gift to the planet is not the way that Jesus Christ went about pursuing his bride. Jesus Christ came to serve, which is the third point that Christ and the church serve one another. This is the picture of a healthy romantic relationship. It's not just church stuff to do. That, oh yeah, we serve each other because we have a good relationship. No, a relationship without service is not a relationship that God desires or it's not operating in the way that God desires because God designed relationships to operate this way. And when you start looking at things through this lens, it'll start bringing you some clarity. It It doesn't make everything easier on the front end, but it sure does make things easier in the long term because what this does is this starts narrowing your dating pool Uh, This starts making you have difficult conversations. This makes people look at you a certain way because of the way that you think and the expectations and the standards that you have. But what I will tell you is that to compromise and to not have this picture is not going to do you any good. 
Because this is what it's designed to be like. This is what Jesus desires. This is why we have to have a relationship with Christ. This is why our lives have to be saturated with the gospel. That we cannot be a Christian on Sundays or on Tuesdays and then we go do everything like the world because it's not going to work. It's not going to add up. And we cannot be expecting God to bless disobedience. So we'll like be like, ah, God, this isn't really working for me. I want to do it this way. And then we get so deep into it that now I've spent all this time with this person. And now we got all these emotions invested. So God, can you just bless it? I know. <laughs> and he'll help you having difficult conversations, but you cannot avoid having difficult conversations in life. And especially as a follower of Jesus, welcome to difficult conversations. When you are following Jesus and you read the conversations Jesus is having, these are not easy conversations that Jesus is having. And yet he was accomplishing a great purpose. God has great purpose for your life. He doesn't want you to compromise and conform to the patterns of the world and the way the world does things and get their terrible results. He wants you to experience the blessing of following his ways, of following what his word says. Paul even says this is a mystery. This is a mystery how marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, why God would do this. But we see in the beginning, God creates mankind. It says in the beginning, God created mankind in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. And so mankind is a picture of God. It's what we were designed to be. And our interactions are supposed to be a picture of God. Our, our interactions are supposed to be an imitation of God, not an imitation of the world. And it doesn't work when we go down the path that the world goes down. So who are you imitating? What does your relationship life look like? And, and what would you say it's an imitation of? If you would say that it's, uh, it, it's, it's got a little ways to go to become an imitation of God, to be an imitator of God, then... Welcome to the journey. God is going to walk us through this. God has walked me through this. I did not used to think like this. I didn't see this passage, didn't understand this concept. When you're just going at the pace of the world, you get just immersed in that narrative and you start going about life that way. But I can tell you that I have experienced the, the lack of fulfillment. I have experienced the broken promise that the world offers. And if you've gone down that path, so have you. If you're going down that path, so have you. And you're either, you're either deciding in your heart and in your mind that if you just keep going, that you're gonna get there. It's not gonna happen. Or you're deciding that it's time to change course. And this is what Jesus invites us into. This is why the word became flesh. Because without him doing it, we wouldn't know. We would just be out here making stuff up like everybody else does. 
We wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't know the example to follow. We wouldn't know what to imitate. If the word did not become flesh and dwell among us and give us an example, I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ lives and he's given us an example. And when I think about my relationship with Gabrielle, I have to check my relationship with God. And so I have to look at how does Jesus treat me? And then I'm supposed to treat her that way. And she has to look at, well, well, how does Jesus treat me? How do I treat him? And then she's supposed to treat me that way. And if I'm treating her like Jesus treats the church, the perfect God who's laid down his life for the church, whose sole mission for the church is the church's benefit. And then she responds by honoring and submitting to my leadership because I'm leading us in a way that prioritizes her benefit. If, if we live that way and stick to that, that is a beautiful marriage. It inevitably is. You cannot say that a man laying down his life for his woman and prioritizing his woman and the woman responding with honor and respect and following the leading of the man who cares for her and, and protects her, you cannot say that that's not a good relationship. Any deviation from that is birthed from dysfunction. Any aversion we have to that is a response to dysfunction. Because if, if we have an aversion to that, if, if that sounds off to us, it's inevitably because of some type of pain. It's inevitably because of some type of abuse. It's inevitably because of doubt that is stirred in our heart as a result of seeing it not done well. But, but we can't say that the picture is wrong. And Jesus is not saying that you are subject to what you've seen in the world. He's saying that you have the potential to be what you see in him. And so it doesn't matter what the relationships you've seen have looked like. It doesn't matter what your parents were like. It doesn't matter what you're seeing around you. Christ and the church. That is the picture that we're called to imitate. And when you're submitting to that, you'll see God move in your relationship life. So I just want to close here. Um, back in this space. And I want us to, to partake in something specific. I, I want to read this verse first. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. It's so important that we have a picture of this in our minds, of, of Jesus's relationship with us. Before we, before we embark on relationships of our own, before we embark on relationships with other people, it's so important that we focus on Jesus's relationship with us. This is the greatest relationship on the planet. This is why it's the picture to follow. It's the greatest relationship to ever exist. God himself and his creation. God himself and his image bearers. God himself and the people that he, that he will relentlessly pursue.
relentlessly seek the benefit of, relentlessly seek to save. This is the greatest picture, and I want us to take part in something today. Um, at the end of your aisles, you'll see a container with communion elements in it. And I want us to take communion today, and, and here's what communion is. If you're new or you don't understand, this is something that we do as believers in Jesus. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, then, then, then don't take it. But if you're a believer or you want to become one today, this is something that we take part in uh, because Jesus has called us to, and he says for us to do this in remembrance of him. I actually need an element. I didn't bring one up here. Thank you so much. Jesus, when, when he was at what is called the Last Supper, it's called, it's called the Last Supper because it's the last dinner he was having with his disciples before he went to the cross. And they were having the Passover meal, which was a, which was a traditional meal that they had every year to remember uh, what God did in saving them and, and bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And he was telling them that this, is, this meal is actually representing something bigger than what you've ever realized, that this meal definitely represents God saving Israel from slavery in Egypt and redeeming them and bringing them out and blood being smeared over the door and the death angel passing by the, the doors that, that had blood on them. Uh, and it was a picture of something, but, but it's a picture of something much bigger. It was an imitation. It was just an imitation of something that was gonna take place for all of humanity. And, and so Jesus, he, he, he was explaining this to them. And I want you to just open up the bread. And while they were having the meal, he took the bread and he said, this bread, essentially what he was saying to them is this bread is not just bread that they were eating to celebrate a holiday, but that this bread was an imitation of something. This bread is an imitation of my body, which is broken for you. And they didn't know what he was about to do. They didn't know that he was about to go to the cross. They didn't understand how, what it was gonna cost him to pursue his bride. They didn't understand that he, he's saying them, to them that this is going to cost him everything in his human flesh to pursue the people that he came to save. But he, but he broke the bread and I just want you to break it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he wanted them to know that when he was going to the cross, he was about to be arrested. He was about to be beaten bloody. He was about to be scourged, flogged. I mean, beaten terribly. He was about to carry a cross and die on a hillside for a reason. That his body was not just being broken. He was saying, when you see this happen, you don't even understand what's about to happen. But when you see this happen, I want you to understand what's taking place, that my body is being broken for a reason. My body is being broken for you. That I'm, nobody takes my life, I'm laying my life down. My body is broken for you. And Isaiah 53, it, it foreshadows this moment. It looks forward to Jesus and, and, and it prophesies about Jesus. And it says that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he, was, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, that, that, the, that the wounds that he had were so that we could be healed. And so I want us to remember that tonight, 
want us to remember Jesus. He said, as often as you do this, remember me, remember me, remember me, remember me. In every area of your life, remember me. When, when you're hearing my commands and they sound difficult, remember me. When I'm, when I'm shifting your perspective and I'm calling you into something that sounds too difficult to do, I want you to remember me and the price that I've paid. The Bible says that we were bought with a high price, that our life is not our own. That he paid a high price for his bride. And he did this so that you and I could be healed. And we believe strongly that that healing does not just, it, it doesn't just stop with the healing of our relationship with God. That it is absolutely talking about the healing of our relationship with God, the healing of our souls, the healing of our spirits, the, the bringing us back to life where we were dead in sins. But I believe wholeheartedly that he's also talking about the healing of our bodies. Because by his wounds, we were healed. That Jesus' salvation was for the complete benefit of his bride, that he came to make us whole. And so as we take this bread, I want to pray, and then I want us to take it, but, but I want to pray specifically around the area of healing. And so, Father, I thank you that we get this beautiful privilege, Lord, of just remembering who you are. I'm so grateful that we have something to remember. Lord, that you really did come to earth, that you really did live a sinless life, that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, God, that, that you walked this earth, that you walked among us, you left an example for us, God, and then you, you laid your life down for us because of our ailments, because of our sins, because of the, the sin patterns in our life, God, and the things that seem like we couldn't break, the sicknesses in our bodies, the torments that we face. God, you saw all of that and you paid the price for it to be healed, for it to be redeemed. And so God, we remember that. Lord, and I thank you that we are healed in the name of Jesus. We are healed in the name of Jesus. We are healed in the name of Jesus. God, I believe that by your spirit, you are healing right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, we, we partake of what you've done for us. We receive what you've done for us and we remember what you've done for us by partaking in, in what you told us to. And so we take the bread, we take the bread. After dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is not just, at, at that time it was a cup of wine. He's not saying, he's saying, this is not just a cup of wine. It's not just a cup of juice, but this cup is an imitation of my blood. And he said, it's the blood of a new covenant, uh, a new covenant that is for the forgiveness of sins that, that God was changing the agreement between him and mankind through Jesus Christ, that there was a new agreement taking place, that there was a new picture about to be painted, that what we're even talking about today with marriage, that, that it's an imitation of Christ in the church, that would have never happened without this covenant. The picture would not be there without this covenant that is, that is sealed by the blood of Jesus, paid for by the blood of Jesus, because his innocent blood was shed your blood doesn't have to be shed for the sins that you've committed, for the ways that you've gone astray. It's the best news on the planet that by the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven. And so if you're in here and, and you have not had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want every eye closed in this moment, every head bowed. 
an evaluation of your life, no distractions. Some of you, God is tugging on your heart right now. You're watching online and God is tugging on your heart right now. And you know whether you've been walking in relationship with Jesus Christ or not. You know whether you've actually received this agreement that he's made with you. You know whether you've received the forgiveness of your sins, whether you've turned from your old life, whether you're following him or not. And so if if you're in here or you're watching online and tonight you're making a decision to begin following Jesus, to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to receive new life in him, I want you to lift your hand in the air so that we can pray with you. You can lift your hand high. It's beautiful. This is so important. This is so important. This is so important. Your life is changing. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to give you new life. Jesus came to heal you. Jesus forgives you as you turn to him. The price that was paid 2,000 years ago is still enough for everything that you've done. And Jesus is still welcoming you into relationship with him. And he sees your individual hand right now. He sees the uniqueness of your life. He knows your name. He knows your thoughts. He knows your life situation. He knows everything that you've been through. And he knows that in that after all that, you're making this decision to receive him. And he's receiving you with open arms right now. And so I want to pray with you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. That you became flesh and dwelt among us, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on a cross and paid the price, the full price for every sin I've committed, for every sin I will ever commit, for the sins of the whole world. And you've reconciled me to God I believe that you rose from the grave, that you laid down your own life and picked it back up, that you're alive and you're listening to me right now, that you're with me right now. And so I repent. I turn from my old way of life. I turn from my sin. I turn from my old perspective. I turn from my old ways. I turn completely to you. I give my life to you. Forever, you are now the leader of my life. I commit to you. In Jesus' name, you may take the cup. Make some noise if you're grateful for Jesus. Make some noise if you're grateful for the redemption of God. We can stand to our feet around this place. I'm so grateful for Jesus. This is what's happening in this season of life. I'm, expe- I'm experiencing a new sense of gratitude for Jesus and all that he's done. And so we're not done. I actually want us to go into a time of worship. Connecting with God. There's some things that he's shaken up tonight. 
There's some things that he's doing in our hearts tonight. There's some things that he's shaking up in our minds and in our perspectives tonight. And I don't want you to, I don't want that to just fly out in your mind and you walk out of here and start conversations. I want us to just take a few minutes to remember him, to have a moment with him, to offer our worship to him, to celebrate him. So let's worship.